welcome to the show. In today's episode, we have Jeff Chilton. He has over 40 years of experience in the medicinal, non-hallucinogenic mushroom industry. Jeff is looking to spread his wealth of knowledge about our fungi friends and their incredible health benefits. In this episode, we talk about the medicinal benefits of mushrooms, how to choose high-quality mushroom supplements, and so much more. So if you want to learn all about mushrooms, this is the perfect episode for you. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Kaka TV podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Kat, thanks for having me. It's really great to be here with you. So we're going to be talking about mushrooms today. So first, let's start off with a little bit about you and where your interest in mushrooms first. I was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest. And what's it known for? Being very wet. <laughs> the climate is perfect for mushrooms. So when I grew up in Seattle, there were mushrooms all around me. I was lucky enough to get out and do a little bit of mushroom hunting with parents of friends. And then when I went to university, uh, my field of study was anthropology, but I was still very interested in mushrooms, so I also studied mycology while I was there. So I put the two together, and it was a study of the use of mushrooms for food, for medicine, and uh, for shamanic purposes. And, and then when I got out of the university, and this is all in the late 60s, when I got out of the university, how many jobs are there for somebody with a degree in anthropology? <laughs> <laughs> Not very many. So I thought, I'd really love to learn how to grow mushrooms. And I wonder how I could do that. And my ecology professor said, hey, there's a mushroom farm 60 miles down the road in Olympia. Go down there and see if you can get a job. It was the only mushroom farm in Washington State, by the way. I went down. I applied for a job. I got a job there. And I was just like ecstatic. Wow, this is so cool. And I was there for the next 10 years, Kat, living with mushrooms, literally, it's a very big farm, 2 million pounds of the button mushroom per year. But I enjoyed every minute of it and just carried on my study while I was there. Can you give us maybe a bit of history on when humans started cultivating mushrooms and what do we know about when that started? Yeah, that's really interesting because we've essentially been eating mushrooms since the very beginning. I'm absolutely certain of that because here you see these mushrooms out there, you look at them and it's, it's big, it's meaty looking. And uh, so as a food source that you could gather wild, we've probably been eating them for thousands and thousands of years. Interestingly enough, in the 1700s in England, they called mushrooms poor man's meat. I just thought, wow, poor man's meat. Yeah, a big meaty fleshy mushroom that somebody finds wild and it's like, for free, still out in the commons and all. But in terms of cultivating, mushrooms were first cultivated in China in the 12th century. That's when they first started to cultivate shiitake mushrooms. And it wasn't until maybe the 1800s that they learned how to grow mushrooms in Europe. And that was with the button mushroom. And if you're growing mushrooms, one of the things that you really have to remember is that the mushroom needs cool and, generally speaking, cool but humid 
conditions. It doesn't like dry air. So in Europe, what did they do? They grew them in caves and they grew them around Paris. And there were all sorts of caves there where they were mining uh, limestone for buildings. So they had all this, these caves around Paris. So they came in and started growing mushrooms in them. And the button mushroom is actually called the mushroom of Paris, champignon. Whereas in China, they started growing the shiitake mushroom in the 12th century. Today, the shiitake mushroom is the most, the, the largest in terms of the number of mushrooms being produced every year. Shiitake is number one. The button mushroom is number two. But now we can, they're harvesting in China and growing somewhere between 12 and 15 different mushrooms that you'll find in the market. And, and look, it's bringing a mushroom into cultivation. It's not like growing a plant. There's probably thousands of plants that we cultivate and, and lots of food plants. And think about it for a minute. A plant has a seed. You or I could get that seed and go out and put it in the ground and we'd grow something. Mushrooms don't have seeds. So how do you grow them? It's a real interesting issue. What is the, what do you use for seeds to grow mushrooms? So it's a totally different organism. And when you can actually cultivate, that's a very big deal when you think about, okay, there's only 15 or so that are cultivated commercially in the world of this very huge grouping of organisms. So how do you cultivate mushrooms? I, I know some release spores, but I don't know if all of them do. Yeah. Yeah. So let me just talk about the, this organism that we call a mushroom first and just describe it because we all know about plants, but mushrooms, what and where? Well, mushrooms have spores. Those spores will float out on air currents and they'll distribute themselves. They'll be on the ground. They'll be in um, a piece of wood. When spores germinate, they germinate into a very fine filament called a hypha. When multiple of those filaments come together and fuse, they'll form a network. That network is called mycelium. Mycelium is what we would call the vegetative body of this organism. And normally, we never see that because it's either underground or it's in the wood. But it's, it's like the tree, in a sense, or the root system. And, and we can see an apple tree and the apple growing on it. But you know how it is when you're, you're walking along and you spot a mushroom, you go, oh, wow, where did that come from? Because it's just, it just pops up and it's, what's it growing from? Why is it there? When conditions are right, and in the Northwest, that is in the fall, temperature drops, the rains come, everything's moist, humidity goes, up comes this mushroom, underneath the ground is this mycelium, that is there, the vegetative body, the mushroom is called the fruiting body, up it comes, it goes through various stages of maturity. Once it's mature, it will expose underneath the cap gill, and then those gills will produce spores. And now we've completed this life cycle. And it's really important to know this because when you're going out ultimately to look for a supplement or something, a supplement is supposed to tell you what is the plant part in that supplement? Are you getting the root? Are you getting the flower, the leaf? What is it? Because different parts of any plant or fungus, mushroom, will have different amounts of the active compounds. 
So plant parts with a mushroom, we have the spore, which is the reproductive body. We have the mycelium, which is the vegetative body. Then we have the mushroom, that's the fruiting body. So we have three parts to this organism that we call mushroom. And it's interesting because if you really want to see the mycelium, the myceliums, if you're pulling a mushroom out of the ground, look where down where you've pulled it out from and you'll see this kind of white, fuzzy, almost mold-like, uh, thread-like growth. That is the mycelium. And we all have actually seen mycelium before because sometimes you'll open up your loaf of bread and it's, oh my God, what is that? It's green, it's black, it's something. That's actually fungal mycelium. And when you see the color, it means it's produced spores. And those are what we call molds. And they're in a separate division from the division that actually has mushrooms. So there are myceliums that produce just spores, no fruiting body, no mushroom, and then there's another division that actually will produce mushrooms, which is what we're interested in. But just to finish off on that, those molds, one of the most important medicines that we've got today has come from a mold, and that's penicillin. So I know a lot of people, they're worried now about getting candida, like a like fungal overgrowth. So they're afraid, some people are afraid to eat mushrooms. And I know there's very different types of mushrooms. They do very different things. So should people be afraid? That that is so interesting because that's something I used to hear, especially in the 90s. It was like every naturopath, which if you go to a naturopath, a naturopaths are very concerned about candida. And that's one of the first things they'll test for. And so the, the idea was that if you have candida, which is a uh, candida is actually a, a candida, candida is a yeast. So it is part of this fungal kingdom. It's a yeast. But the idea was that don't feed a fungus to a yeast. And, and if you went out and looked for any scientific papers on this, there isn't any at all. And the idea is, are you familiar at all with this idea of doctrine of signatures, which in a sense is produces the idea too, that if something has got a kidney shape, it must be good for your kidneys. So it comes out of that. It's the whole idea that was like, if you've got this yeast growth, you don't want to add some other fungus to it, like a mushroom. There's absolutely no uh, basis for that. And I know lots of clinical herbalists and even naturopaths that use mushrooms to treat candida. So that's something that's really, there's no scientific basis for it. And I don't hear it as much anymore, but it's interesting you brought it up because it is still out there, I'm assuming, and people are still don't want to know, but no, uh, look, I'm really an advocate for eating mushrooms, cat. To me, I consider mushrooms to be the forgotten food. I call them the missing dietary link because they have tremendous benefits from eating as well as a food. They're a fabulous food. And I don't know if you want to talk about that, but the benefits of eating mushrooms, I, I tell people before you even supplement, put mushrooms into your diet. They They are... Uh, a good source of uh, their high quality protein. They're mostly carbohydrate, but the carbohydrates they have are actually very slow acting carbs. Mushrooms don't have any starch. 
So it's not like when you eat a mushroom, how you eat a potato or bread or something like that, and up goes your glucose level, and then down the other side. Mushrooms have a compound called mac, which is a sugar that is used for a lot of diabetics because it is very slow digesting carbohydrate. And mushrooms have a lot of fiber, and they do not digest quickly, which is a really good thing. How we don't want to be eating foods that are have this glycemic index number that's really high, and so we eat it, and it's just boom. You get all of these sugars, and up goes your blood sugar, and then down the other side. You want something that's just very evenly spaced in the way you're digesting it, so it's not... And that's what mushrooms are. And because of all that fiber, they are actually feeding our microbiome, which is a really good thing as well. So I I always tell people, put mushrooms into your diet. And believe it or not, when I was at the mushroom farm back in the 70s, classical nutritionists said, mushrooms have no food value. What? (laughs) They really believed it. Why did they say that? low in calories. Can you imagine if someone said that today? Oh, it's a low-calorie food. Don't even, it's maybe tastes good or something, but don't eat it because there's no food value there. Really? <laughs> because it's low in calories? Now that's something that is actually, we think of as being beneficial in certain ways. Certainly we need calories to, to live and survive and have energy, but at the same time, a low-calorie food is, is something that's positive now. Yeah. So are there any common mushrooms that we're eating or maybe supplementing with that are beneficial, but if you have too much can be toxic? And I say this because I know someone who took too much chaga. And if you tell Americans a little is good, they're going to (laughs) eat a ton of it. That's really interesting because, of course, he's going to be creating a chaga tea or something. This person will be creating a tea because chaga. uh, Have you ever seen a chaga? No, I have not. Oh my God. It is it is not a mushroom. Chaga is not a mushroom. It's not really, it doesn't have much fungal matter in it. But what it is, is that the fungus um, is parasitic on birch trees. It will attack the tree. It will get inside the trunk and it'll start growing up and down in this tree. And then the tree reacts and pushes out the bark and it will create a very weird looking irregular growth that is black on the outside more cinnamon like on the inside and that's the chaga been used for a long time for stomach ailments and i always um tell people because if you go on the internet people think the internet the people sell chaga on the internet they're like the king of mushrooms there's nothing this can't do. And, and you know what, what it's like when people are touting something as a panacea. And, and for me, that is just, I, I don't like that at all because I, I think the panacea thing is just, no, this is sales speak, so to speak. And, and so chaga was utilized for stomach issues. So I always say, look, if you've got something like IBD or Crohn's disease or something like that, Try chaga. That's one of the primary uses of chaga. Try that. Now, can you get too much of it? You know what? Actually, there are some studies that show that chaga has certain compounds in it that if you do take too much, 
these compounds could create kidney stones, something like that. I, I just think that generally speaking, especially when you're starting to uh, consume something new, a new food or something, I'm always saying, even if somebody wants to eat, just eat some particular mushroom, I say, okay, fine, but start small, don't eat a lot, try it, see how your system likes it. Somebody doing too much like that, it's just a bad idea, no matter what it is. And so that they had issues with chaga. I haven't heard a lot about that, but I, I always figure that there's 5% of the people out there that are going to have a problem with whatever food, whether it's allergies or just the system does not like that food. You know how we, when we eat things, it's, we either feel good or we feel, oh yeah, that didn't really agree with me very much. So that that's really interesting that your friend had this experience. And again, I would say, no matter what it is, and even if it's one of these mushrooms, start slow and easy. Don't just dive in like you're saying, like so many people like to do. It's just, oh, I'm going to take a lot to really see what goes on here. And then you're sorry for it. Yeah. And it was more of a concentrated tincture, not eating. (laughs) Well, yeah. And again, with chaga, what you're doing is you're making a tea with chaga. You, You cannot eat it because it's actually hard as a rock. So you basically put it in, you you steep it and you bring it up to a simmer and you might simmer it for three hours or something and then you can drink the tea. And But again, go slow, go easy, see how your body reacts to it before you jump in and really go crazy with it. That's always in a way a recipe for possible disaster. So in general, what are medicinal mushrooms and their primary uses? Well, medicinal mushrooms in their cell walls, they have a compound called a beta-glucan. And the beta-glucan, there's been a tremendous amount of research on beta-glucans as compounds that will potentiate our immune system. And our immunity and our immune system is the key to life and the key to living. And when our immune system is not functioning at its normal or best level, we are susceptible to all kinds of different disease. And the way I like to think of disease, too, is we're out of balance. Instead of, oh, I've got this condition and I've got to fight it. Yeah, let's look at your life in a total way, see what's going on. And this is where integrative health practitioners come in. You know how you go to a doctor these days and they don't even care about what you're eating, what your diet's like or anything like that. They're just like, they've got 15 minutes. What's wrong? Okay. Yeah. Here's your prescription. See you next time. That's not very positive or helpful for us. So these beta-glucans that are in mushrooms and they're in the cell walls of every single mushroom out there, but certain mushrooms have, because they're in a different architecture in each mushroom. So the architecture in certain mushrooms makes them more active and therefore beneficial for us to utilize them for health conditions. And so what they do is when we're consuming them or we're taking a supplement, they will come down and into our intestines, we have receptor sites 
specific to beta-glucans. It's really interesting. We have these receptor sites. It'll hit these receptor sites, and then what can happen is that will produce immune cells. It will essentially stimulate the production of immune cells, macrophages, NK cells, these types of immune cells, which will produce cytokines, which are when our immune system goes into action. And the thing about the mushroom is you have to think of it not as, okay, I'm going to take an aspirin and my headache's going to be gone in an hour. You have to look at it almost like a vitamin where you're taking them in a regular way. There in the background, it's not like you wake up in the morning and say, oh God, that uh, vitamin C I've been taking, I feel so much better better now that I'm taking it or I, uh, it makes me feel so good. I just took it a couple hours ago and wow, it's really working. No, you're not going to feel that with mushrooms really. It's going to take a while and you're going to have to look at your overall health in general. And listen, I, I'm not going to tell you mushrooms are a panacea. They are not. If your lifestyle is such that you're not getting a lot of exercise, you're trapped in a chair most of the day, you're not eating right, your lifestyle in general is not good, what is going to help you except a real change of, of lifestyle, a number of things. But if you are someone who is doing most things fairly well, and even if you're, you are ill with certain types of illnesses where immunological potentiation will help you, then certainly eat mushrooms and utilize them as a supplement. But the primary benefit you're going to get from those mushrooms is going to be immunological potentiation. They're going to be there when something starts to happen. Maybe it's like that cold or that flu or something like that. You're going to go, aha, uh -huh, I seem to be able to resist that better than last year. I don't seem to be getting those same types of infections that I was before. So that is the what I'd say, the, the real significance of medicinal mushrooms. And, and that's a, a more, let's just say, a lot of people would look at that and call it an adaptive, but it's there, it's in the background, it's working for you. So that's the primary benefit. Now, each species will have other benefits that research has told us is there. And so species by species, there are certain other benefits that we can get out of medicinal mushrooms. So let's talk about immunity specifically. What are some good mushrooms for immunity to boost it? Number one, I would say is reishi. Have you ever seen a reishi mushroom? Just a drawing. <laughs> yeah, it's the coolest thing. It actually has a shape, the cap has a shape like a kind of a ram's horn. It's very circular like that. It's beautiful. It's red, bright red when you shine it up. And when you hold it in your hand and it's been dried out, it's like a piece of wood. You cannot eat it, but traditionally it's made into a tea. And reishi is one of the highest in beta-glucans. And we actually have a test that we use in our company where we can test for these beta-glucans and we know which mushrooms have the highest amounts of them. Reishi is right up at the top. It's 
it shares the top spot with turkey tail, which is another really great immunological mushroom. But reishi has these other compounds in it called triterpenoids. And the thing about reishi is you go to make up a tea or something, and you go to drink, and it's, oh my God, that is so bitter. And, and it, it, that bitter flavor is demonstrates that these triterpenes are there, and these triterpenes are also very helpful for liver function, for blood purification, which is something that, again, is really important for us. So they help the liver. So this is what makes reishi different from all the others. Not only does it have a high level of these beta-glucans, but it also has compounds that many of the other medicinal mushrooms do not have. And so that makes it special in a way. And in, and in China, they call it the um, mushroom of immortality, the 10,000-year uh, mushroom, they call it in Japan. So it's highly revered. You, you In China, you see it in their art. You see it in their architecture, drawings of it, and things like that. So reishi would be absolutely my number one if somebody said, okay, I want to pick one particular mushroom, and I want it to be active immunologically for me, I would say reishi. Number two, I would say the turkey tail would be one that would be very useful. And again, those are the two that are the absolute highest in beta-glucans, which I, I like because what we do in my business is we will look at how these mushrooms have been used in traditional Chinese medicine. And, and they, they, there's actually a book that I've got that's got 270 different species. And you're like, um, okay, where do I start from here? They, they list 270 because there's at least maybe one scientific paper that says, yes, this has got some activity. But when you look at traditional Chinese medicine itself, what are they using? What are they still using after thousands of years? And then there's maybe, let's just say 10 or 12 different species that they're using. Then I go out and I look at the scientific literature is there science and scientific experiments that will back up the claims that are made about these particular mushrooms? You put the two together, and then I can say clearly that there are these particular 10 species that have shown strong activity. There's a good scientific basis for it, and then I can move forward and offer those to people. So reishi and turkey tail are sort of our number ones for immunological activity, which is not to say the other species don't have that. All of these 10 will have that activity, but these are the top two in terms of if I'm going to, somebody wants to know which one particular mushroom should I use? And reishi, because of these triterpenoids is yes, this is the one. Interesting that you said reishi is good for the liver because I was recommended reishi because I have like high estrogen and it the hormones get clogged up in the liver, so it's supporting the liver function. So that's cool. Oh, that that is very cool. Yeah. And one of the things that what they talk about with mushrooms is they modulate. And so that is a word that kind of really is, okay, if you're getting too much of something or too little of something, they're going to try and bring you back into balance. And that's it's very nonspecific in a way, but I think that to some degree also is the definition of a adaptogen as well is that it is modulating multiple types of systems that we've got and bringing you back into balance. And that's really one of the ways I look at mushrooms and why I'm always saying, look, 
put mushrooms into your diet so they're part of your wellness regime. Because let's face it, diet to me is the most important thing that we've got in terms of our health. If your diet is not good, forget it. Where do you go from there if you've got a bad diet? You have to have a good diet uh, first. And that's really the foundation of everything. And so that's why I'm always like, okay, put mushrooms into the diet. Put that mushroom into the food pyramid, for goodness sakes. So yes, that's reishi is the top for that. Have you heard at all about lion's mane? I think that might be one that I've heard from memory or focus, something like that. Is yeah, that true? Yeah, exactly. And and that it's a funny thing, Kat, because five years ago, we hardly sold any lion's mane. And then all of a sudden, there's this whole category called nootropics. And lion's mane kind of was part of that category. And everybody's lion's mane. Oh, boy, it helps me mentally and focus and memory. And who doesn't want a little bit of help with the memory? Now, when you're younger, it's not so much of an issue. But as you get older, it gets to the point where it's, what do you say your name was again? <laughs> what was that word I'm trying to remember? And as a nootropic, people have been really interested. Now it's just so crazy. But lion's mane actually has uh, compounds that will stimulate what's called nerve growth factor. And nerve growth factor helps to stimulate the organization and the production of neurons. And as we get older, this nerve growth factor that we produce we don't produce as much of it. And so all of a sudden, we're slowly in this decline. And so if you have something that can help you to produce nerve growth factor, then that's a very good thing. And there are actual, with most herbal products, there's no clinical trials because they're very expensive. Most companies don't want to spend the money. There are some clinical trials out of Japan that they've actually had control groups where they've tested lion's mane. And it has actually shown activity in terms of people when they take a set of tests and then 90 days, 125 days later, they are tested again and they actually do better than the control group. So there, there is some clinical trials on that. And also they've used it a bit for dementia and, oh God, dementia and mental decline is, is really sad if there's anything that could help people would that would be wonderful and i'm not saying that somebody's going to take it and all of a sudden it's going to be like oh my god my focus is so sharp and i i can actually remember your name now <laughs> stuff like that it's really not that way again but still that's what lion's mane is used for are there any other mushrooms that are good for memory and focus well, yeah there, there actually are uh, reishi actually has shown activity for that and but i think again it, what happens is that once you find certain specific compounds because you know what herbal research is all based upon is drug discovery and so what they're doing is they're taking a, a, an herb they're extracting it, they're fractionating it, and then they're testing all those different fractions against different systems that they've set up to see, okay, is it an anti-tumor? What does it do against in this case? And they've found these compounds in lion's mane. That's why they spend a lot of time with it. But they've actually shown that reishi and a couple other mushrooms have those same benefits. So that's always interesting when you see that. And companies still tend to want to concentrate on the one where there's the most research. But sometimes they want to put two or a couple of them together. And that's interesting to do. And, and if a couple of them have those benefits, then 
maybe two will be better than one or three will be better to, than one. Maybe there'll be a synergy there. So what do you take? This is really interesting because we, during the whole COVID period, first of all, we have a, a wholesale line and we have a retail line. And within the first couple of weeks, a year and a half ago, we had some products in our retail line that just sold out immediately. And all of a sudden, and during these last two years, our company has just grown incredibly. 80% growth in the last two years each year. Everybody wants something that can help with immunity. So one of the things that I was really interested in, I thought, because I've done a lot of reading on it all, and, and I've read a lot about vitamin D over the years. And it's interesting because mushrooms have a compound in them called ergosterol. It's a fungal sterile. And when you expose it, it's a lot like a cholesterol. With cholesterol, that's where we get our vitamin D. When we're exposed to UV light, it on our skin, and that stimulates that cholesterol to basically turn into a pre-vitamin. So that's where we get our vitamin D. Well, with mushrooms, they have this compound that's similar. It's called ergosterol. When you expose ergosterol to UV light, it turns into vitamin D2. Really interesting. And we're in the process of uh, being able to produce it. Now, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to put out a mushroom product that had vitamin D in it from a non-animal source, from mushrooms. She's like, God, that is so cool. And I don't know if you read, but another thing they've talked about, and I've been aware of for 20 years, zinc. And what a wonderful mineral that is. And I thought, okay, zinc, vitamin D, and two of our different extracts, one is a chaga and one is a reishi. We put them all together into a new product. We call it uh, a D2Z. I take that product every day. <laughs> I actually designed it for myself. <laughs> so we have that as a retail product. And I'm like, okay, so I, I take that every day. So I, I'm getting 2,000 IUs of vitamin D. I'm getting 30 milligrams of zinc plus the mushroom extracts. And then mushrooms also have a compound called ergothionine. Ever heard of ergothionine? No. Ergothionine is a very well studied and highly considered antioxidant. It's we don't produce it, but it's in certain places in our body where there's high oxidative stress. And scientists have been going, why? What's going on? What's going on with this ergothionine? So they've been testing it. And the interesting part about it is that mushrooms are one of the foods that are the highest in ergothionine. So we actually went, there you go. We've got to offer this out there because ergothionine, I, I, there's talk about it possibly being a new vitamin. So I take the D2Z as one of my supplements. I take the ergothionine from a mushroom. So those are the two supplements that I take that are mushroom-based supplements. I also take uh, C. And I take even another vitamin D as well with it because I think vitamin D, they have absolutely demonstrated that if you have a low vitamin D level and you get COVID, you are going to be in trouble. So many of the people that have been hospitalized and died have had very low levels of D. And the ones that 
haven't have been fine. If they've gotten it, they have pretty much hasn't been a big problem. For me, I, I'm like, why aren't we passing out vitamin D on the street corners? <clears throat> why aren't we out there giving this away to everybody and say, start taking it? Because especially people in the northern latitudes, they are almost always deficient in vitamin D. Now, I actually had my vitamin D tested about two years ago, not specifically, but it was part of a, a whole raft of blood tests. And it turns out my vitamin D was really high. And that was um, even before I was taking these extra supplements and stuff. So I was happy about that. And I do tend to expose myself to sunlight whenever possible. And I'm out and about, I'm an outdoors kind of guy. But I just think, God, vitamin D. And then you think about zinc and even vitamin C. Take these things. They're going to help you. And it's like, why aren't we talking about prevention here? My business, cat, is based on prevention. It, all these mushrooms and mushroom supplements are part of a real serious program of prevention of and, and to me that's what we all need to be practicing that's what it really means to be healthy that's why diet is a part of prevention absolutely and, and all of that comes back to maintaining this balance we have to maintain our balance and there's different things we do to do that but certainly again this is prevention and that's so important. And I just don't think enough people are paying attention to that. And certainly not the government is not out there. And look at the American diet. Good God. You wonder why people are sick. They're sick already eating all that stuff and, and drinking all of those sugary drinks and so on. It is just insane. And why is nobody out there? They've got this food pyramid and it's like, Okay, is anybody paying attention? And shouldn't you be out there now, especially, they also talk about comorbidities and people that are, are too heavy and things, and they're going like, that's a huge issue as well. You have to lead a healthy life. If you don't, you're going to be susceptible to anything that comes along. I totally agree. We should be forcing people to take vitamins <laughs> and eat healthy rather than forcing everything else. But, I know, you know. I know. It's like, why aren't you mandating this other stuff that will be very good for our health? It's, and again, like I say, my life and my business is built around prevention and doing all the right things in that sense and looking at all of these different factors. And that's the whole with mushrooms that's what they're all about. They're part of prevention. They're part of your program to stay healthy. Yeah. And it would be nice if we could just eat food and get all of our nutrients and minerals and vitamins from our foods, but they're depleted. So we have to supplement, but nobody talks about that. I know. Isn't that interesting? It's, yeah. Saving the planet and all. I'm there. But look, Maybe we should stop pouring all these chemicals onto all of our food. Maybe we should get rid of the chemicals first, but nobody's talking about that because those companies producing them and using them are too powerful. Yes, but that's another story. <laughs> that's, always, that's, that's another very long thought. So are there any mushrooms that can be used with anti-aging benefits? Because I read on the website something about, I don't know if I can say this right, tremella mushroom? 
Tremella, yeah, I, I haven't really, I don't think of Tremella in terms of anti-aging, but I think of mushrooms in general as anti-aging. Look at me, I'm 100 years old. What do you think? <laughs> is it working? <laughs> but no, Tremella is actually one that's been used more for the skin, actually. Have you ever seen a Tremella? No. Oh my God, you've got to see it. It looks like a flower. Literally, it's this wavy, flowery, and it's actually almost, it's not hard or anything. It's almost like jelly, but it is so cool. It is so beautiful. Again, it's very floral looking, mostly used. It can be used topically, or you can consume it or supplement with it. And its use is, and it is primarily used for skin issues. And that's where I would, if somebody was asking me about it, that's what I'd pretty much say about it. The other one I think that's really interesting, have you heard at all about cordyceps? Yes. It's, now, it's like cordyceps, a buzzword. Cordyceps traditionally has been wildcrafted, and it's called caterpillar fungus. Believe it or not, this little cordyceps mushroom grows off of a caterpillar. And what happens is this caterpillar, and they wildcraft it up in Tibet, the caterpillar hibernates, and it doesn't realize while it's sleeping that there are spores of cordyceps that are in the ground, and they get in there, they germinate, they consume the complete caterpillar, the whole insides. Caterpillar never wakes up. And in the summer, basically, it puts up this little mushroom cordyceps mushroom. Now, that particular herb is very famous in China. It's used for fatigue. It's used when people have a long illness. They cannot quite climb out of it, the last leg of that illness. They'll give them cordyceps. But today, that wildcrafted cordyceps costs $15,000 for a dried kilogram. It's not possible as a supplement. Not only that, you know, I actually tried to introduce this into the supplement market in 1991 and I showed it to a few companies and they looked at me and they looked at it and went, my customers aren't going to eat caterpillars. <laughs> and, and besides, they're vegetarian. And I thought, yeah, caterpillar meat. No one's going to eat caterpillar meat. <laughs> so anyway, we cultivate cordyceps now. And that is so amazing. Just in the last 10 years, learned how to cultivate cordyceps. So all of our cordyceps is cultivated. It is inexpensive. So it's something that we can offer to people and it's uh, all good. Uh, so where would they use? Turns out in our society, they look at it as, okay, performance, athletes, but at the same time, energy, uh, fatigue, somebody's just feeling fatigued and, oh man, I'm just so tired all the time or something. They could try cordyceps also, but that that's where cordyceps fits in to all of this. And I'm trying to reishi cordyceps, lion's mane, chaga, the top four that we sell. It's really interesting. And it, what, there was a time back in the 90s where shiitake and maitake were the king of mushrooms, so to speak. And those two, it's a, a great thing about those is that you can buy them for food. So right there, you've got this medicinal food. Isn't it so cool to, to think about food as like certain foods are medicine as well? And, 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 and not in the kind of like pharmaceutical sense, but in the sense of 
man, not only am I, am I getting nutrients for, from them, but I'm getting these other chemicals that are in there that have these wonderful benefits for me. And you think, God, isn't that what we want for our diet? We want foods that are like nutritious, but also have these other compounds. And I think of broccoli and cauliflower, things like that. Shiitake and maitake, you can get it in your supermarkets if you're in a certain metropolitan area or in your Whole Foods or whatever. They're there. Sometimes you can even get lion's mane, fresh lion's mane. It's delicious. Shiitake and maitake, there's just so much information on them and their benefits for the immune system. And that's where they really shine. Maitake also has been used for people who are um, pre-diabetic because it's, again, it's a food that that has uh, a lot of uh, the mannitol in it. Mushrooms, again, are very slow acting. They can fill you up. And part of it is, okay, eat this food that makes you feel full. Maybe you won't be quite as hungry or anything like that. So that's where shiitake and maitake kind of fit into this whole mosaic. I do know when chefs make some mushrooms, they'll cut off the stems. Is that necessary? Is there any benefits to the stems or is it okay to throw them away? Eating the stem is fine. The only thing is, is like with, with a shiitake, the stem is tough. So it's chewy. And that's where they would definitely throw off a shiitake stem. With most other mushrooms, you might just trim the very bottom of it. If there's any of the substrate, which is what the mushroom was growing from, you might want to trim that off. Sometimes with the button mushroom, I find the stem will start to turn brownish a little bit. I trim that off because that's just an indication of oxidation or maybe even a bacterial growth. One of the things about buying mushrooms um, fresh is that a lot of stores you go into, the, the produce manager doesn't know how to deal with mushrooms. God, you look at the mushrooms sometimes and they look horrible. I've even told some produce managers at times, you should not be selling those mushrooms over there. They should be thrown in the dumpster. They are in terrible condition. They're bacteriated. They're full of bacteria. They're ugly looking. Don't sell those, please. <laughs> and it's just if you happen to have the mushrooms out and, and the produce manager is allowing them to be sprayed with water, absolutely a no-no. Because what happens, and, and if you ever see a button mushroom and you brown spots on the cap, that's bacterial growth. And that's from it being wet and then allow those mushrooms to stay wet. The bacteria will grow. That's why when you buy mushrooms, you put it into a paper bag. Keep them from getting moist. You don't want that moisture on them. You want them, and and they will hold really well in that paper bag in your refrigerator. They'll start to very slowly dry out. The best thing to do is to use them as soon as possible. But those are just issues that I run into when I'm in a supermarket. I'm really a terrible critic when it comes to fresh produce, and especially fresh mushrooms. Oh, God. Don't murder those poor things. Uh, So anyway, yeah, that's something that you really have to be aware of and treat them right and prepare them properly. The other thing I would, would say about for people that want to use mushrooms as food is that cook them in a hot pan. What happens, have you ever heard a, a young child say, oh, mushrooms, they're so slimy and they're just like, I hate mushrooms. I don't think I've ever heard a child say they like mushrooms. It's always, I hate mushrooms. Even my kids when they were growing up were, I hate mushrooms. Now they love them. But then it was like, why? Generally speaking, if you cook mushrooms at a low temperature, all the water comes out of them. 
And then they're sitting in a pool of water and they're just a soggy mess. When you put them in a hot pan, you're basically trying to sear either side of them. The moisture stays in. I like to brown mine off a little bit. I just, when I'm just doing a pan of mushrooms, it's just, I, I use butter, throw butter in, a little bit of salt and pepper, and, and but cooked them in a hot pan, brown them on either side. I like them a little bit more well-cooked than undercooked, but that way the moisture's inside of them. Uh, and remember too, you throw this big amount of mushrooms in the pan, you turn your turn away and you come back and they have shrunk. <laughs> They're going to shrink to half their size. So be aware of that as well. But hot pan, please. Too low a, a pan, your kids are going to complain and you're not going to like them either because the texture is going to be lousy. Yeah, I know how that works. I love mushrooms, so I cook them at least once a week. And we always oh, sear them on both sides. Yes, I, I go so far at times to just like, okay, I'm trying to get them to turn over. And it's hard. Okay, I'm going to take you by hand and turn you over so I can get you on both sides. And what's a good way to clean mushrooms that have a lot of dirt in it? Because I know that um, when I get chanterelles, they are always covered in dirt. Oh, God, I know. The chanterelle, poor thing. Okay, now, most, if you're with a group that's a wild mushrooming group, and I've been in these groups a lot in the past, it's always, okay, take a brush and brush it all off. And, and I get that because what, what happens with a lot of mushrooms, especially wild mushrooms, is the gills are an area that the dirt will fall into, and, oh, what do you do at that point? You can't hardly get them out. And, and why they... Why people don't want to wash mushroom or the wild mushroomers don't because they think, oh, the water will get into the gills. The mushroom will become a little bit waterlogged. We don't want that. A chanterelle, if there's a lot of dirt on it, sure, you can try it with a brush to brush it off. But also, I'll put mushrooms under the tap quickly to wash off, especially with a button mushroom. With a button mushroom, the gills are not exposed. So you can take the button mushroom. I'll generally always wash those because there normally be a little bit of of dirt on them. And just so people know, they think the button mushroom, oh yeah, it grows compost or grows in manure or something like that. No, look, the button mushroom has a compost that it grows from, but on top of that compost is a layer of peat moss. So anything on those button mushrooms, is just peat moss. It's not compost or anything like that. So you can brush them off with a brush or you can just put them quickly under the tap. I Well, I spin them in my palm and that takes everything off. They don't stay wet. It's not a big deal. So <clears throat> if need be, God, yeah, put them under the tap and, and wash the dirt off. There was a time I, I met some people before that with the uh, wild mushrooms, it was like, if there's any dirt there, you just got to eat it because that's part of the experience. <laughs> well, no, thank you. No, thanks. No. So yeah, that's certainly it. And yeah, most people who are deeply into mushrooms, they'll have a little mushroom brush and they'll like meticulously brush it all off. I'm a little bit, let's move these along. So what is your opinion on mushroom formulas with alcohol extracts versus water extracts? First, let me say this. You, there's a lot of little bottles of liquid out there that they sell as sup as a supplement in a way and it's, they call it a tincture or whatever. I personally think that those are overpriced liquids that really don't give you a lot for the money. And, and so I do not advocate those. We don't sell liquid products at all. Some of our customers might make liquids and, and if if it comes from an actual 
herbalist and it's not a commercial product that's on all the shelves, that herbalist probably makes very good extracts. And the alcohol is in that extract primarily just as a preservative. And, and it may be a tincture where that's also been part of the extraction, but the alcohol will end up being part of, the, part of it too. And, and normally, for me, if it's a good liquid extract, I would expect it to be cloudy with herbal material, uh, solids and things like that. If it's just a clear liquid, I'm like, oh my God, that is just water and alcohol. There's not much there. We use, when we extract our mushrooms, we'll take the dried mushrooms, we'll extract them with water, hot water. Then we'll, in some cases, keep the fiber and, and create a, a lower ratio extract. Or other times we will make a more concentrated extract. We'll, let's say, eight kilos of dried mushrooms is one kilo of dried mushroom extract powder. And most mushrooms, all you need to do and all you need to have is a water extract because that's what easily takes out the beta-glucans, which is what we're, we're looking for, and most of the other compounds as well. Now, with some mushrooms like chaga or reishi, they have a, a structure where some of those compounds are a little more difficult to get out. And in that case, we'll use a water and alcohol extraction to ultimately be sure that we're getting everything out. Because when we, with our concentrates, when we are finished with the mushroom fiber, it is spent. It, there's nothing there. It's just fiber. And, and you know, it's not in terms of eating mushrooms, you're eating a lot of mushrooms, so you're going to really get the fiber, but you're not going to really. The fact of the matter is in the, in the one gram of mushroom extract powder, you're not, you're not looking at that in terms of fiber. That's not going to provide a lot of fiber for anybody. So I would say that's what I, I look at and go. And when you're talking about supplements too, look, there are a lot of supplements out there that are made from this mycelium this vegetative body and and what they do it's not just pure mycelium that's the problem is the companies will because first of all because mushrooms are very expensive to grow did you know that every single mushroom you've ever eaten has been picked by hand i'm not kidding it's been picked by hand how many vegetables are still picked by hand not a lot some still i remember when i used to pick strawberries as a kid <laughs> because my grandparents were strawberry farmers. That was fun, actually. <laughs> but there are companies now, because mushrooms are so expensive to grow, you can make a living at it, and there's businesses that grow fresh mushrooms. That's a business. But when you dry out a mushroom, which is 90% water, supplements are dried powdered powders. Now, all of a sudden, instead of $5, you got to get $50. It's not economical in North America to grow mushrooms for supplement use. So a lot of companies, they'll grow out the mycelium on sterilized grain. Do you ever eat tempeh? No. You know what tempeh is? Yes. Okay. Tempeh is actually cooked soybeans with fungal mycelium growing on it. Okay. It's a let's just call it a, a novel food product. Companies out there are growing this mycelium on sterilized grain and selling it into the supplement market and calling it mushroom. You have to be so careful 
when you're buying a mushroom supplement, because you look at all these supplements, they'll have a picture of a mushroom on it, they'll say reishi mushroom, maitake mushroom, and you might not be aware of the fact that what you're actually getting is grain powder with a little bit of mycelium. And the way that you can really know whether that's the case is if it says made or grown in the USA, it's that tempeh-like product. And, and look as well at it because some of them will actually tell you when you look at the supplements facts. Some of them will actually say mycelium. And then if you look in the fine print, other ingredients, it might even say myceliated grain of some sort, oats or rice or something. That's the tip off right there. Be aware of that when you're looking at your mushroom uh, supplements if you're out there. And don't pay attention necessarily to the clerk in that supplements space because they might not even know. And they're just listening to the sales rep that comes around and tells them how wonderful that product is. And so they're selling it and a lot of it is being sold. So they'll point you right to that product, not even knowing that it's not mushroom. So you have to be very aware of that because otherwise you're going to end up getting mostly grain starch. Mushrooms do not have any starch. 100% mushroom is what you're looking for. You're not looking for mostly grain starch with a little bit of fungal mycelium in it. Good to know. So where can everybody learn more about you and your company? Our website is namex.com, N-A-M-E-X.com. And we actually have a menu for educational items, and we've got so much information there. And I'm always telling people, come for the information. Namix is a wholesaler. I've got slideshows that show exactly how we grow our mushrooms, talks about this whole quality control issue. We have a retail site called realmushrooms.com. Come there because it also is jam-packed with educational information. And look, Kat, I'm not here to sell anybody anything. I'm just here to educate. I want people to know about mushrooms. Again, forgotten food. It, It is to me like the missing dietary link and put it into your diet first. And if you think you need to, you need a little bit more and you want to supplement with it, that's great. But get into your diet, then think about supplementation and uh, just beware about the differences between a 100% real mushroom, which is what the research is based on and which is what they've used for thousands of years and these other products that are mostly grain powder. Thank you so much for your time and for teaching us about mushrooms. And is there anything else you'd like to say before we go? No, I, I just think, again, my main message is, is uh, I guess, put mushrooms into your diet. And, and number one, if you haven't tried it yet, try shiitake mushrooms. What do you think of shiitake mushrooms? They're one of my favorite. Oh, God. Aren't they delicious? In, in, in Chinese, they call shiitake shanggu, which means fragrant mushroom. And oh, the odor of the shiitake, it is just wonderful. They have a great aftertaste, delicious mushroom. Thank you so much. And I will put everything in the show notes so everyone can check everything out. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's really been great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the show. Please show your support for the podcast by leaving a five-star review. Learn more about the show and what I have to offer you at katkatibi.com. Consider being a part of the new Patreon, where episodes are ad-free and you'll find extra bonus content. Send a voicemail question or email me. 
Check the show notes for more information. I had an episode a while back with Dr. Mona Fahum of Feminescence, and we spoke about Feminescence, Maca Harmony, and their Maca products. And if you're a woman who's ever had hormonal imbalances, if you're trying to come off the birth control pill, or even if you're going through menopause, this is a natural way to help ease that transition and to help balance your hormones. There's nothing quite like it, so go to feminescence.com, enter code CAT15, K-A-T-1-5, for 15% off any of their single pack products, and definitely go check out the episode, just search for Mona Fahum on my podcast, and listen, you won't regret it. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Would you like to sleep deeper, stress less, and feel incredible every single day? You can. Introducing Rooted In's line of totally unique magnesium-infused body butters that give you more nourishing, sustainable vitality. Magnesium completely changed my life, and I know it can change yours too. So if you're ready to experience lasting relief and unlock your body's true potential, then visit BeRootedIn.com and use code HEALTHY to save $10 on any one of our three revolutionary creams. Plus, I'll ship it to you for free. Make a change for the better and visit BeRootedIn.com. Don't wait because we sell out regularly. This podcast is for informational, merrymaking, and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including KakaTB, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.